The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. And um, Bibles should be turned to Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue our, our study of the, of the marks of success. We're talking currently about the cost, the cost of discipleship. And we've looked at a few things here. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 together, beginning at verse 1. We read here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we have this morning. I pray that you would instruct us, that you would strengthen us and help us to understand uh, more uh, the cost of our discipleship, what you expect of us, what you demand of us. Help us, Lord, to love you enough to obey your word, to do the things you, you ask of us. We ask that you bless now and, and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Do a quick recap. So far, we've looked at a few things. Uh, uh, first, we looked at what a disciple is. And I said two things. I said that a disciple first is a learner. Uh, a disciple is someone that sits under the tutelage of another person and, and, and submits himself to the teaching of that person and becomes a learner under that person. And then we also said, secondly, a disciple is a follower. Not only does a disciple sit under the, under the teaching of someone and submit themselves to the doctrine and the teaching of someone, but they obey that. You can't claim to be a disciple of Christ simply because you sit under the teaching of Christ. Does that make sense to you? Just because you come in here on Sunday and sit in the pew and hear the teaching of, of the word of God, it doesn't make you a disciple. You have to finish it off. You have to get up, leave, and go and live that which you've been taught. So to be a true disciple, we not only have to sit under the right teaching, but we have to submit to that teaching and we have to practice what we are taught. And here's where a lot of Christians fail. A lot of Christians come to church and they hear the teaching and it goes in this ear and comes out this ear. And when they walk out the door, they're not un totally unchanged from when they came in the door. And, and, and far too often, we go through life patting ourselves on the back because we came to church. Uh, we become almost, if you, if you pardon me saying this, we become like a Catholic. A Catholic goes to church because it's his duty to go to church. But he goes, he goes to church, confesses his sins to a priest, and then goes out and lives like the devil again for, for seven more days. That's not a disciple. That's not what this is all about. So we see that a disciple is a learner and he is a follower. But then we talked about the marks of, of a disciple. There are certain qualifications to be a disciple. The first mark I said was that of salvation. Uh, you can't be a disciple of Christ if you're not a child of God. You have to be born again in order to claim to be a disciple of Christ. And, of course, the evidence of our salvation is seen 
How? Anyone tell me? Seen in our life. It's seen by the way we live, by the way we we conduct ourselves, by uh, the way we choose to present ourselves to people. That's the evidence of our salvation. A man may be saved, but if his life doesn't give evidence of that, then his salvation is hidden. It's hidden in him alone. So the marks of salvation. Secondly, we said a disciple bears the mark of service. Uh, A disciple is busy. He's actively serving the Lord. He's doing something with the with the talents and and gifts that God has given him. And he's doing that to further the kingdom. We talked about we talked a little bit about uh, Elvis Presley. Remember, I told you Elvis Presley was a was a Sunday school teacher and a choir director. But he took the talents God gave them and didn't use them for God's glory. He used them for his own glory. He used them to promote himself. Uh, And and I, I knew a preacher once who said he was in an elevator with Elvis. And I shared this with you. And he actually witnessed to Elvis and Elvis told him, oh, I'm definitely saved. I, I am definitely uh, one of God's elect children, but uh, I've I've never used what God has given me for his glory. And that's that's seen in so many Christian lives. But the mark of a disciple is one who serves. It's one who actively uses his life to serve the Lord. And then thirdly, I said a disciple bears the mark of sanctification. He keeps himself from uh, those things that w- that would shame and bring a reproach upon the name of Christ. So these were the marks of a disciple. And then la- last time we studied two weeks ago, we began to look at the duty of a disciple. And first I said we must present our bodies to the Lord. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read it a few moments ago, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And we we looked at those things. We looked at how we could accomplish this. We said, first, uh, our lives are to be a sacrifice. That means we're going to have to we're going to have to sacrifice some things, a living sacrifice. We we have to give up our our uh, perhaps lifelong ambitions and goals and dreams. We may have to set those aside so that we can fulfill the will of the Lord. Paul, the apostle, for instance, Paul sought to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He sought to rise. <laughs> he desired to rise to the highest level, perhaps even to rise to the to the level of the high priest. But Paul gave all that up on the road to Damascus when he when he met Jesus. And when Jesus saved him, Paul said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And Paul there presented his body a living sacrifice unto God. Paul said for me to to live as Christ, to die is gain. And, and that's the way a true disciple feels. A, a true disciple feels that he would prefer to be in glory with the Lord. But for him to live his life here, disciplined in service to the Lord, is more needful for the kingdom of God. And, and so we, we see that. It's to be a sacrifice. We said it was to be holy. Now, we all understand the implication of holiness, being holy. We understand that you and I cannot uh, present ourselves to God as holy. But we can walk and live in holiness, which is in reverence to God, in acknowledgement of his authority, and in submission to his will. And our lives are to be presented to the Lord in holiness. <laughs> and then third, we said it's to be acceptable. Now, to be acceptable means that we have to do what the Lord says, right? Uh, and herein, again, is, is, is a hindrance to a lot of Christian people. 
they want to be a part of, they want to be in the church, they want to be a part of the body of Christ, but they want to do what they want to do. And if what they want to do offends another Christian, if what they want to do uh, goes against the word of God, then so be it. They're going to do what they want to do. Well, you can do that. You certainly can. But don't claim to be a disciple of Christ if you do. Because you're not presenting an acceptable life to Christ. You're saying, Lord, here's my life. Take it or leave it. And that's basically what we do. When we fail to, when we fail to, to walk in the spirit, when we fail to submit to the principles of God, that's what we're doing. And a lot of times people don't like to hear that, but that's, that's just the way it is. We're, we're basically just shoving our life in God's face and saying, take it or leave it. Uh, and and w- I got news for you. One of these days, God may say, well, I'll just leave it. And so we have to be careful there. We have to be cautious. So this morning, I, I'd like to continue looking at the duties of a disciple and the cost of discipleship. Um, and how we can accomplish this. In order to remain faithful to God and to accomplish our duties as disciples, then we must follow the admonition of Paul as he states it in verse number 2 of our text, Romans chapter uh, 12. Let's look at verse 2 again together. We read here, And be not conformed to this world. That's where I want to begin. First, We must resist being conformed to the world. Now, I have a a glass of water here so kindly provided by Lou. And if you don't mind, I'll take just a sip of this. Interesting thing about water in a liquid state. What's what's unique about it in a liquid state? Not unique, but what's the main characteristic of water in a liquid state. Can anyone venture a guess? It refreshes. It really does. That, that sip I just took makes me want more. Somebody else? Somebody? I'm sorry? It seeks its own level. Yes, water always, the surface of water, by and large, is always level to the, to the ground. It, it, it seeks its own level. Anything else? There it is. It conforms to whatever you put it in. I've got this in a round cylinder. The water conforms to that cylinder. If I put it in a square box, it'll conform to the square box. Right? If I put it in a round ball, it'll conform to the round ball. Water has no uh, stability. It it conforms to, to whatever is around it. Now, if, if we had ice, however, ice wouldn't conform, does it? It's, it's in a solid state, and it's going to remain solid. The only way you can make it conform to a shape is to shape it. So this morning, first of all, Paul says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be like water. Don't, don't yield to whatever is around you. Um, we must realize that... W- however, this morning, that all of us are conforming to something. Everyone here this morning is conforming to something. Now, when we present ourselves to to church on Sunday, 
we generally put on our best clothing, don't we? We shower up and make ourselves smell real clean, real good. We do things to freshen our breath. And we walk in with a piousness. And we say, bless you, brother. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. We're conforming, all of us in this room right now. I don't see, I don't see anyone sitting here in a rebellious state. All of us are conforming to the expectations of being in church. But do we conform to the expectations of Christ on the job? When we're away from the house of the Lord, when we're away from the the people of our church, and we're in a, a work environment, do we conform to that environment? And the answer to that would probably be yes. We, we by and large conform to that environment, don't we? Uh, now, perhaps we, we, we take stands and positions concerning certain things, but by and large, we conform to the expectations on the job. So, so before we get all puffed up and think, well, you know, I'm, I don't conform, we all conform. Everybody conforms to something, all right? So let's, let's, let's understand that right away. Now, in a spiritual sense, however, if we live a life that is yielded unto God, if we offer God that holy life he, he wants from us, if we do those things that are acceptable unto him, then we will be conformed to the Lord instead of being conformed to the world. However, if we give our loyalty to this world uh, and, and its philosophies, if we fail to to honor the principles of the word of God for convenience sake or because of social pressure, then we are conforming to the world and not to the Lord. So Paul tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world. This being true, it would seem important to identify those things that will cause us to fail in this area, things that will cause us trouble. In First John chapter 2, uh, we read this. Let's all turn there. Let's quickly turn to First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, John warns us here. He gives us a warning. Look at First John chapter 2, and let's go to verse number 15. First John chapter 2, verse 15. We read here, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. So John tells us, most directly, don't love this world. Jesus prayed uh, to the Father. He said, Lord, uh, they must be in the world, but I pray they not be, what, of the world. Of course, we're we're in the world. We must dwell in in this world, and we must face the pressures, but let us not conform. John said in 1 John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Let's read on. If any man love the world, watch out here, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty harsh statement. But it's very definitive, isn't it? Because if we love God, we won't love the world. And, and, and that's the real litmus test, if you will. Do you love this world? Because if you love this world, I'm sorry. The love of the Father is not in you. Let's read on. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So John, John gives us a very clear definition of, of what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. Don't conform to this world. If, if we love the world, and by the world I mean, I'm not talking about God's creation. I'm talking about the, the worldly philosophies, the spirit of the Antichrist, which doth already work. If we love this world, then the love of the Father is not in us. So we must, we must live in the world. We must function in the world. We must, we must make a living. We must do all these things. But our, our love, our passion, our loyalties should be to the Father, not to the world itself. And I see so many Christians today who forsake the Father for the world. Who, who not because they have to do, I know people who not, who don't have to work on Sunday, but they choose to work on Sunday. I know, I know people that uh, don't have enough love of the Father to discipline their life and their schedules. And I, you know, if I get someone upset here, I'm sorry, but I, can, I cannot but preach the word of God. If someone has such little value for the Father and the love of the Lord that they would forsake the Lord on Sunday to go off and do something that they personally want to do, how can they possibly claim to be a disciple of Christ? You know, I'm not the most intelligent man in the world. I am the best looking man in the world, but I'm not the most intelligent man in the world. (laughs) Why are you laughing? That wasn't funny. But, you know, when the Lord saved my soul in November of 1980, I knew where I needed to be on Sunday. I knew it. And, and we, need to, we need to love, we need to be careful about this love of the world and, and the things that are, that are taking place. You all know that I was unemployed for quite a while and I, I, I went on several job interviews. I told everyone I'm the same thing. I won't work on Sunday. If this job means I have to work on Sunday, I'm sorry. I can't, I won't. Matter of fact, I had a good, I had a a line on a really good job. I mean, a really good job. And when I interviewed the guy, the guy told me I'd have to work every Sunday. He said, no, we can, we can adjust your schedule to where you don't have to miss every church service. But I went home and, and I thought about that and I called him back. I actually, I sent him an email and I said, I'm sorry. But if I am being considered for this job, take my name out. Because I made a God, I made God a promise. I made God a promise 33 and a half years ago when I had to close my own business and go to work in, 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 at a regular job that if he blessed, if he would bless and honor, I would never take a job that required me to work on Sunday. I've, I've shared that in here before. And listen, you make a promise to God, you better keep it. You know, if we love God, we'll obey him. It's that simple. Don't tell me you love God if you're disobeying him. Don't tell me that. Now, I realize every now and then we may, we may stumble and fall. I love my daddy. I, I can't stand here and say that for all my life I've never disobeyed my daddy. But it was rare that I did. 
because I love him. And I want to honor him. And I, want to, I want to show him my love by my obedience. So we have to be careful. John talks about three things. He talks about the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, we read, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, uh, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. These are the works of the flesh. And by the flesh, we're talking about, of course, the natural man, uh, the unsaved natural man. Now, the, the lust of the flesh here is a desire to satisfy the senses. John warns us about this. This is the works of uncleanness. It includes works such as fornication, uh, adultery, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts. Um, to succumb to works such as these will certainly cause us to conform to the world and to its philosophy. The lust of the flesh. This is everything we ever wanted to do. I mean, people, people who claim to be Christians need to, need to have a desire to fulfill God's will and God's word. Uh, um, Moses. What does the Bible tell us about Moses? That he chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. For a season. Do you realize Moses was in line for the throne of Egypt? You'd say, well, he could have really delivered God's people if he'd have just accepted his title and, and sat on the throne. Then he could have set all of God's people free. Yeah, but that wasn't God's will. God would have gotten no glory out of that. Moses chose to obey God's will and sacrifice his life and give it to the Lord to do with as he will rather than enjoy the pleasures associated with sin, but we have so many Christians today. If we'll get off of our of our pedestal that we put ourselves on, and admit the truth, we'll admit that so many of us today are more worried about pleasing self than we are about pleasing the Lord. And we better watch out, because this is one of the one of the the things that John warned us about: the lust of the flesh. But he also warned us about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. This is everything we ever wanted to, to have. Uh, let's turn together to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll start at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. We read, And it came to pass, after the year was expired... At the time when kings go forth to battle. Pay special attention to that statement. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. So, so here, let me set the scene here. This is, this is the time when kings go forth into battle. It's, it's, it's the time of the year when, when they don't have to deal with the, with the, um, with the, the snow and the ice and the freezing time or, or the torrential rains uh, when it's hard to move armies and hard to move battle equipment. This is probably sometime in the summer months at a time of the year when when battle can can take place and and when it's more it, it's more more um, profitable for for that venture. 
So it's a time when kings go forth with their armies to battle. But David sent Joab and his servants and he stayed at home. Uh, now let's look at let's look down. It says, but David tarried still at Jerusalem right at the end of verse one. See that David tarried still at Jerusalem. He didn't go with the army as he should have. He stayed behind to 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 lazy around the house. Verse two. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, we, we know this story. This is the story of, of David and Bathsheba. David should have been, he should have been with the army of God battling against the Philistines. But he tarried at home. He stayed behind. And he stayed behind on purpose. Do you think David just happened to, to wake up in the middle of the night and wander onto his roof? I don't think so. I think David knew Bathsheba was going to be there. He knew she was going to be bathing. And he got up and he went and he gazed upon her because he wanted to. You know, I'm, I'm tired of Christians who go around blaming the devil for their sin. I've said this before. Let's not give the devil God's attributes. Let's not make him omnipresent. Let's not make him omniscient. Let's not make him omnipotent. The devil can only be one place at one time. And he's not, he's not omniscient, so he doesn't know what I'm thinking. He can't read my mind. And he's not, not omnipotent, so he can't control me. So let's stop giving him our, the, the, those attributes. When we sin, who, do, should, who should we blame? Our flesh. That's who we should blame. We sin because of our flesh. And, and now as God's children, we've been, we've been given power and authority over the flesh. So as, as believers, as God's elect children, when we sin, we sin because we want to sin. Not because we have to sin. Because I don't have to sin. I've been given, I've been given the authority of God, I've been given the righteousness of Christ, I've been given the holiness of Christ, I've been given the power from God to control my own flesh. And it's only when I yield to my flesh that I sin. So when I sin, I sin because I want to sin. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the lust of the eyes. We do what we want to do. We indulge in what we want to indulge in. Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, All things are full of labor, and man cannot utter. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon is telling us that our eyes are never full. They're never gratified. They're never satisfied. The eye always needs more and greater. It is never, ever satisfied. It was this insatiable lust that Satan used to deceive Eve in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 together. Let's all go there quickly. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at verse number, beginning in verse number 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We read, and when the woman, what's that next word? Saw. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the what? 
to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You see, it was that lust of the eye. It was that insatiable desire to have what we see that Satan used to deceive Eve and to to cause Eve to sin against God. And that's the same thing that he uses against us. You know, there's nothing, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The devil doesn't need to develop new tactics because the old ones work fine. You ever hear the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Satan doesn't have to come up with new ways to, to attack you and I. He, he, he just uses what he's always used. Why do you think companies spend so much money on marketing? Hmm? Did you ever wonder why a, a corporation will spend millions of dollars for a 30-second commercial? Because they know what the devil knows. If you see it, you're going to want it. And it's only a matter of time until you figure out a way to get it. And that's exactly what the world is full of. The conformity of the world will cause us to, 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 to l- the lust of the flesh, to, to have these things that we want, and the lust of the eyes. But then, thirdly, there's the pride of life. Now, this is everything you ever want to be. This is the desire to exalt oneself. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which didst weaken the the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This is the desire to be. The desire to have the chief seat or to be in the place of importance. Yet the Lord admonishes us to be of a humble heart and mind. In Mark chapter 9, we read, And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus taught here that humility is what God desires. God God says the greatest man is the man that makes himself the least of all. The man that is the the, the biggest servant. That's the man in God's eyes who is the greatest of all. So the, the, uh, the world is opposite. The world says, make yourself as big as possible. Uh, Exalt yourself, exalt your own heart. But we are to be little in the sight of God. The Bible says to humble yourself and the Lord will exalt you in due time. (laughs) Rather than allow our lives to be controlled by these worldly philosophies, we must submit to the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read, let this, matter of fact, let's turn there. I think you need to see these verses. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're not going to finish my, I'm not going to finish my outline this morning. Those of you who used to sit in my adult class, you know that these outlines I give you are just simply a wish list. And we generally don't reach the end of them. So we'll pick it up next time. But 
This will probably be the last thing I go over this morning. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And look beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, so what, what, what Paul is saying here is get your mind focused on, on the same things that Christ focused on. Think like Christ thought. So let's read on, verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So here, here Paul says, you know, Jesus didn't think, didn't think it was wrong for him to claim to be God, but yet despite the fact that he was God and is God, he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He didn't, Jesus didn't walk around needing people to praise him and worship him. In, in, in his earthly state, in his human state, he was a servant. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve others. He humbled himself. Okay, let's read on. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul started out by saying, let this mind be in you, this mind of humility, this mind of, of, of uh, servitude. Not, not, not needing to be or, or desiring to be exalted. And this is, this is the thing. Paul admonished us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, not to be conformed to this world. Yet I see so many Christians today, and I'm talking to myself too. I see so many of us today that succumb to these lusts we've talked about. We, we, we yield and give in. We, we, become, we become ensnared by this lust of the flesh. By this lust of the eyes and by, by the pride of life. But we're to resist these things. If we, choose, if we desire to be considered disciples of Christ. And if our life is going to be holy and acceptable unto God. Then we must not conform to this world. We must be fully aware of these things. And we must, we must, keep in a, we must have the mind of Christ. And humble ourselves before God. And make ourselves servants unto the Lord. All right, folks, that's all I have time for this morning. We'll come back next time when we'll talk about the next point on the list. Thank you for being here today. I hope this was helpful to you. And you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.